FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 487 of the podcast of Ghost Nick. I'm your host, Jason, and we are finally here. I, I couldn't quite do it. I almost kept a weekly schedule for 10 lives and deaths of Wolverine, but some things in the last few weeks just kind of kept me <laughs> away. So we're going to cover both the finale of, well, really the finale of the whole event, which will encompass the final issue, the fifth issue of both 10 lives of Wolverine and 10 deaths of Wolverine. And then, you know, some other stuff that we'll, we'll throw in the episode as well. I do want to make one note. I tried to keep up with, like, the weekly comics and all that. I have and have read patch number one, but I'm going to kick that back. I'm going to punt it one week so I can talk about that and the conclusion of Dark Ages, the, the Tom Taylor kind of parallel universe event. Um, so I can have kind of a bonus episode next week. Because next weekend, which hopefully this will help get the podcast a little bit more back on schedule, but next weekend, we are scheduled to finally move back into our house. And I'm very, very excited about that. It won't be like 100% done. It'll be almost there and close enough that we can actually live there, <laughs> which will be nice. Um, you know, A, I just, I'm really, really homesick and really, really miss my house. I miss being close to the boys' school and not trekking them all over the town to try to get them places they need to be. But also, I just miss my house. I miss my bed. Um, the place we're staying is great. It's been really, it's been fine. It's been nice. But also, you know, while we're paying for all the construction, we're also kind of hemorrhaging cash uh, being in this place uh, several more weeks than was originally scheduled. And that, that's fine. Construction projects often have delays. I'm not not complaining too much about that. I know there's a lot worse things going on, but that's kind of my life right now. Um, but anyway, what, not really trying to be negative. I'm trying to be positive. I'm really excited to be back in the house and also what that will hopefully mean for the podcast. Um, I should like actually have pretty soon a designated workspace to record in and stuff, and that would be really cool. Um, so hopefully that will help me kind of maintain a better schedule. So that said, we're going to jump into some comics. Ready? Alright, here we go. So what we're going to do first is conclude our Life of Wolverine, our Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic, which, which I have two weeks to catch up on on that, so the last two issues of that, which should be cool. So we're going to talk about number 9 and number 10. Let me find it. The Infinity Comics, we're going to go down here, we're going to go to Life of Wolverine, we're going to drop down to number 9, number 9, number 9, number 9. Now remember, these are written by Jim Zub, art by Ramon Box, colors by Hava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Joe Savino, production by Annie Cheng and Tim Smith III. Um... So number nine is entitled Chapter Nine, A Better Path, and starts off with a really cool, we have our logo, and then we have like the X-Men logo with Wolverine's fist in front of it, like in the center of the X, with three adamantium claws extended down, it looks really nice, it's a really nice image. Um, so these have kind of gotten better. I, oh, I don't, that's not the right word. They've gotten a little more engaging and entertaining. They've moved away from 
this kind of being a straight up, you know, summary to actually like, you know, throwing some interesting little tidbits or whatever. So we start off, you know, we're back with Logan on the X-Men, of course. We get the famous scene of him going solo against the Hellfire Club goons. And we have one of that. And it's really cool in the way they, because, you know, the Infinity Comics, what they do is you watch them vertically on your phone and you scroll vertically. So we start off with a classic scene of him fighting the goons on some wooden crates from the famous John Byrne issue. And then... We kind of follow the scroll down with the crates. The crates kind of get thinner and break. And it's pretty cool. Then we go right through Gene's death. And then building the relationship out with Mariko. Including the fun kind of leather uh, um, croc hunter suit he wore for a while. (laughs) When he met Mariko. Uh, Logan in the late 70s, early 80s in his western wear. Um... That particular style of Western. I mean, he still does that, right? With cowboy boots and jeans and hats and stuff. But not quite as much Burt Reynolds as he used to be. Um, anyway, and then we, we go back to Ty, where he goes back to, to Japan, to the Wolverine miniseries, and kind of what that means. And then uh, we get a really cool image of him and Rogue when she first joined the X-Men. How he kind of took Rogue under his wing. And then the Wolverine and Kenny Pride miniseries with Ogun. And then the famous issue drawn by Barry Windsor Smith where he fights Wendy Deathstrike. And then their alleged X-Men death in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Dallas! Um, and they sacrifice themselves. And then now he goes and spends some time as Patch in Madripoor, um, including the death of Mariko and how that kind of sends him into some darkness, and that's going to end number nine. And then, so, after that, we're going to go to number ten, which is, um, chapter ten, A Matter of Trust. And it talks about how, you know, continuing to find balance between the man and the beast. Uh, a really cool phrase here. Uh, something we talk about a lot on the podcast, but I've never heard it quite in this exact verbiage, but... Animalistic rage tempered by a moral code. So pretty cool little description there. Then we move into uh, when Magneto strips his adamantium away and how he kind of devolves into a bestial nature. And then, then when Apocalypse gives him his adamantium back, it makes him a horseman of death, right? Uh, that reveal. And then it's kind of, then we go to like, uh, we get a portrait of the picture from Enemy of the State, which one of the, you know, more popular, wide-known Wolverine storylines from the early 2000s. Then we go to House of M, and how after House of M, uh, Wolverine gets all his memories back, and then we see him, we see, like, all in the people he's helped, right? Kenny Pride, Armor, Jubilee, of course, Laura, and see him, you know, on Krakoa. We see kind of a, a picture of all his different loves, ending with Gene, which is, eh. You know, not my preference, but, um, anyway, and then we get a really nice, like, long vertical scroll of him in different poses and different costumes, and we start off with, like, you know, uh, well, at least naked from the waist up, Logan with bone claws and into his original costume, and moving into his early costumes, and then the image gets more crowded with more and more costumes and depictions of Wolverine. Ending with a close-up on his face, and then ending with a close-up of Jean crying. And then she talks about how it was an honor to, to be shared so many memories, 
And she says, you know, I want these memories from my mind. And Wolverine says, no, Jeannie, you're going to keep them. Keep them safe. I trust you with them more than I trust myself. And that's where we end. It's a really poignant ending. Now, the only thing that felt a little iffy is so since, like, Hawks Fox and since Percy's taken over Wolverine, you know, we've had still some memory gaps, you know, as opposed to when he got all his memories back from House of M. And... You know, get the idea that, that maybe Gene, through this journey, got to see more than that. So maybe Wolverine means I want you to keep my intact memories safe in case I forget them again. Um, but yeah, and, and we know that like, it's through like resurrection stuff and, and this continued trauma that, that Percy is played with that he still has some memories that kind of come and go. Um but yeah, uh, I like the fact that he entrusts Gene to keep his memories, to keep them safe, and, and to kind of hold on to them in case he ever needs that. And it's also, well, I don't really like him and Gene being lovers necessarily, which is not my preference for his love interest. I do like the idea of her being a confidant. And those don't have to be the same, right? <laughs> you don't have to be sexually involved with all your confidants. But, um... Anyway, I yeah, so I, I just like the idea of that kind of poignant ending. So I, you know, I, I know I started off with this series kind of giving them threes, just kind of standard. Um, I'm going to give number nine a four out of six claws. I'm going to give the last one, number ten, a, a five out of six claws. It was a little, it covered a lot more ground. Like the first several kind of went slow, and then we just kind of sprinted to the present <laughs> over the last two. But um, still, nonetheless, I... I enjoyed adding more of the like kind of contemporary context to the stories and being a little bit more than just kind of an animated Wikipedia page uh, there at the end, the last couple of chapters. So definitely appreciated that. I mean, it was a good effort overall. And like I said, if you haven't read all the stories, it's probably very, very helpful. And it even reminded me of a couple of things that I maybe forgot. So, you know, my old noggin ain't the uh, memory bank it used to be. So it's always helpful to remember some things that you guys still trust me to, um, you know, be the uh, conveyor of the Wolverine podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, definitely kind of appreciate what they did here and that. And um, we'll come back to Marvel Unlimited in a few minutes. But first, we're going to cover the end of 10 Lives and Deaths in Wolverine. And I know normally I do the credits and then talk about the cover. I'm going to talk about the covers first, because the main cover is by Adam Hubert. And the fifth or last issue of each title makes a connecting cover. So we have on X, I'm sorry, 10 Lives in Wolverine, number five. We have a shadowy techno Wolverine in the background. And then Adam, I'm sorry, uh, Adam Hubert doing a fade. And Omega Red and Wolverine... Uh, jumping at each other in front of the figure in the foreground. What I mean by that is they start off really detailed and fully colored. Then as you get to the bottom of the figures, like their legs and feet, the color fades out and even the line work gets very, very less detailed. And it's kind of a really cool effect, like an unfinished drawing. I I think it looks nice, like really nice. And then the 10 Death and Wolverine, you can get the other half of the Wolverine in the background as a regular Wolverine. Then you have the same kind of idea of an unfinished drawing of Wolverine fighting Techno-Wolverine. So, you know, pretty cool there. All right, so 10 Lives in Wolverine, number five. 
The Living End, course written by Benjamin Percy, art by Joshua Cassara, colors by Frank Martin, letters and production by VCs Corey Bennett, woohoo, designed by Tom Mueller, and I, like I said, Adam Kubert and Frank Martin, who I forgot to mention, doing the covers. So, we open up with a really, really cool splash page with the bottom of the panel, of course, of Wolverine taken over by Mikhail Rasputin stabbing Xavier in the shoulder, Gene in shock, and then behind them in the background are just rows of panels of different Wolverine faces and time periods, and it's a really, really cool effect to end this story. Then, um, of course, Gene and Xavier are panicking or trying to figure out you know, what Mikhail has done. Uh, Gene's not really sure what she can do. Omega Red is here. Wolverine is gone. Um, and we see different memories. Uh, Wolverine with Xavier. Wolverine in the danger room. Wolverine trying to kill Xavier. And then we go back to the Northern Canada 1900 scene where Xavier's great-grandfather is captain of the ship. And he Talks about the last couple of months, how young Logan has been such a help for the crew. When you consider staying on, he's like, no, no, no. I gotta get out of here. And he literally jumps into the icy water and swims away. But not before Xavier gives him the watch and the compass that we saw in the first chapter. And as Wolverine swims through the water in the memory, we see him swimming through his own mind. Um, Xavier and Jean trying to help guide him back to shore of his own identity, you know, saying, come back to us, Crow is where you belong, you have a home here, and he's able to do it, and we see back in Russia that the Omega Red's body with the Cerebro sword kind of lights up, and Mikhail's like, what? And um, Wolverine comes back, and he's home, and Gene rushes in and mean mugs him with a kiss, and he's like, Wolverine says, when Omega Red bullied into my head, I got a glimpse of his, I know where he is and how to end this. And then we get kind of a mission log that talks about a couple of different scenes that we didn't get to see. The New Mexico Territory, France, and World War One. We maybe just saw like glimpses or panels. But this gives kind of just a little more detail on what happened in those time periods. Uh, back in Russia, Omega Red pulls a sword out of his chest, the Cerebro sword, and Mikhail bitches at him for failing his mission. They kind of fight with each other. Mikhail eventually says, you know, I wanted to, you know, help me, but really, you're Russia's past. I'm looking towards Russia's future. And we see his army of, like, uh, muscle-skinned dolls, his soldiers, and he's like, you know, I will use this. And he, he scatters away and just teleports away and says, Wolverine's coming, but I'll see you later. Um, and then Wolverine does show up, not through a gate, but with Gateway, which is pretty awesome. And Caitlin goes away, and Wolverine says, it's just you, just me, just us. And we get a nice double snick as he blows steam out of his nose. And God bless Homo Superior. They, <laughs> they paired this image with an image of Yosemite Sam. <laughs> I cannot unsee it, and it's awesome. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to be disrespectful to Cassara at all. This is an awesome panel. It looks great. But the, there's so much steam coming out of his nostrils that it does almost look like a giant bushy handlebar mustache. And yeah, it's a little Yosemite Sam. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, but it's a cool double snick. He says, no more tricks, no more dodges, no more bullshit. And um, they rush at each other face to face, hand to hand, blade to tentacle, mutant to mutant, and a really great page as they rush each other 
And then we see them fighting, and then also fighting through all the times where he fought a possessed body by Omega Red. And, um, you know, Percy, I've said over and over again, really gets Wolverine's voice, and the narration here is pretty great. Um, I won't read it, but it's really, really cool. But, um, yeah, Wolverine continues to fight Omega Red. He chops his hand off. The Cerebro Blade falls in the snow. Omega Red tries to crush Wolverine with a log, but Wolverine cuts his way out of it. It gets more and more graphic and brutal as we go, and Kassar is great at that. And we have a scene where Omega Red stabs him in the throat, or at least through the neck, if not the throat, with the Cerebro Sword, and Wolverine just grins, a bloody, bloody grin and stabs his whole fist into Omega Red's chest, actually through the sword, where the sword was. And you see the claws come out the back. And he keeps saying, you know, I don't know if I've actually changed anything, or if what I changed became my memory, so I don't really know, like, you know, because time travel. But either way, he uh, cuts Omega Red in half, and grabs the sword, and he brings it back to Sage. And, um... That's when they tell him that, you know, great mission, but you're not done yet. We're being attacked by you. And we see, we get to see Kassara draw a, a panel of techno-organic Wolverine being completely taken over by the Phalanx, like he was at the end of 10 Deaths number 4, fighting Doc and Gabby and Laura Wolverine. And it's, it's fun to see Kassara's version of that. Um, it's really cool. And then also because... The techno-organic virus phalanx took over completely when Wolverine was severely injured. We get to see Kassara play into his strength of body horror. So, yeah, a really, really good art. A really nice conclusion to this as he kind of destroys and hands it to Omega Red. Mikhail still gets away, so we'll still have, I'm sure, that story carry on in X-Force um, going forward. But the art's really, really good. The story's really good. I'm enjoying this. I'm going to give uh, 10 lives, Wolverine number 5, 6 out of 6 claws. So we're going to move on to 10 deaths in Wolverine number 5, which really the only big difference is, of course, the art. Uh, so art is by Federico Vincentini with colors by Dijon Lima. And we start off with the scene from Hawkspox of Xavier on the park bench. And Moira comes up. But she is bleeding from her gut. And she says, F you, Charles. And then we see her in the present saying, F you in your dream. I wish I never met you. You're a coward and a traitor. And we see her kind of dying. And remember, she grabbed this, like, um, Krakoan-like armor husk that she tried to fight Wolverine in with her cyborg self. And we see her, she's lying there dying. Seeing the end of all her different lives, but this one is the end end, and so that's how it's going to be. Then we kind of move right from her into the Phalanx Wolverine, or, you know, Terminator Wolverine, Techno Wolverine, whatever you want to call it. Running through Kakoa and Doc and Wolverine and Gabby are, are chasing him. Um, they're telling Logan where he is now. Alright. So one thing I saw get a lot of traction on Twitter, which I want to bring up, and I think is pretty cool, is in the character... You know how these Hawksbox books have, like, on the title page, they have, like, the character headshots, like, who's involved in the story? So other than the scout not being Honey Badger, which is always disappointing, we have, you know, Moira X, we have Omega Wolverine, and then 
Logan is just called Logan, which I really like, and then Laura is called Wolverine. And from where we are in the story, that's kind of, I've, I've voiced, that's my preference. Logan, yes, is Wolverine, and we can have two Wolverines, that's fine. But I love the idea of Wolverine just being Logan at this point in the story. Um, and, of course, Laura being Wolverine. Plus, it makes it less confusing to talk about. But, um, anyway, I just thought that was really cool and, and loved all the, the love I saw for that on Twitter, uh, particularly ex-Twitter, especially. Um, really ate that up, so that was fun. Um, so he's Sage and Beast um, talking to Logan, sending him to where Wolverine, Dawkin, and Gabby are fighting uh, Omega Wolverine. And they determine, they kind of plot out his course. He's heading for the Cradle. And he's going to try to infect Krakoa through the cradle with the techno-organic phalanx virus. And that's kind of his end game. So Beast is kind of like, you know, this is the, uh, you know, what we're going to do. So he's going to work on really severing the cradle from the mainframe is what they talk about. So it's kind of cutting it off so that if Omega Red does not stop and he gets there, he can infect the cradle but cannot infect the rest of the island. And then Sage grabs the Cerebro Sword. And she's going to have another plan. They're making some really cool art. Laura Wolverine and Dawkin and, and Scout and just cutting through Techno Omega Wolverine. And they're, they're stressed that they have to stop him before he reaches the cradle. Um, otherwise, the future we've been trying to avoid will come to not only to fruition, but will, the future will become the present. It'll happen right now. Um, so Dawkin, they all continue to fight. And the Phalanx... Wolverine continues to kind of decompose and it looks really awesome. Very, very monsterish. Uh, Scout drops a big rock on him, but he just cuts through it. And, you know, Phalanx Wolverine is about to cut down Scout, Gabby, Honey Badger, um, and we get off panel at Hey Bub, and we see Logan, and uh, he says, Why don't you pick up somebody your own size? Um, and then he shows him the watch and the compass and says, you know, your time's up and my time is now. We get a snick as he jumps at the phalanx and they lock claws and Sage, we find out, runs off with a Cerebro sword um, to, to use it to hack something, she says. You get an awesome page a Wolverine and phalanx Wolverine fighting as the Wolverine family just kind of looks on and it's just a brutal, brutal fight. Um, and Logan kind of says, you know, they've sacrificed enough for me. It wasn't their job to suffer for my wrongs. Not now, not ever. Whether in the past or the future, the atonement is on me. Um, which is really, I mean, it's, that's so Wolverine. Um, then Sage shows up with the Cerebro sword, throws it to Logan, and he stabs it into Phalanx Wolverine. And with some green crackling energy... Phalanx Wolverine blows up and nothing is left but the adamantium skeleton. And, well, no, they say that, but there is just a hint of techno-organics still on the claws. Interesting. Okay, so the Cerebro Sword breaks in half. They talk about how the adamantium has been scrubbed free of any circuitry. But again, in the picture, it's still on the claws. They burn out the phalanx, and then Krakoa literally swallows the skeleton. And then Logan starts to walk off, and everyone's like, where are you going? He says, to drink all the whiskey. Every last drop of it. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so, you know, it, we get a nice text page of Wolverine kind of explaining the concept of sacrifice for himself and what that means to him. And, um, you know, it talks about how, you know, he went to Mexico and he was on a mission and some kid complained about the ruins and who cares about the old stuff. History didn't mean anything, no matter what his parents said. And Wolverine kind of identified a little bit. He does like history, but he said, you know, they can only live in the moment. There's barely a past, hardly a future. It's easy to keep the fear away when he's just like that. Gotta say, I'm almost jealous of him. But like it or not, it's my job to have the long view. To know what blood came before is to know what blood's coming again. It's my job to keep watch. So Percy, again, just kind of nails Logan. Um, so yeah. So Gene says, uh, you know, the timeline is intact. Krakoa is intact. And they go to the Green Lagoon. They drink up. Um, they have a little family reunion. We get some foreboding in the future as Wolverine's like, well, things are fine for now. And we see Sabretooth hanging in the vines of the pit. And we know we still have more of that miniseries to come. So, you know, more threat there. And then, um, yeah, they celebrate. You know, Beast kind of talks about how whatever they espouse, it always comes down to violence. And stabbing is what saves the world time and time again. And then we go later to outside of um, the doctor, the science guy. I forget the name of his company. But outside one of his bases on a hillside is a cemetery. And Moira erupts from the grave as Moira X. And I, man, I feel really bad when I see stuff and I don't always take a note. But someone on Twitter said, so we're calling this Moira.exe, right? Instead of Moira X, it's Moira.exe. Because, um, yes, fully cyborg Moira had a backup plan. She backed up at least a digital version of herself into the cyborg. And that is still alive and makes some threatening internal monologue about a swan song. So we know we will see more of that. So, again, really, really enjoyed the art. Really enjoyed, continuing to enjoy Percy's characterization of Logan and the other members of the Wolverine family. And I really enjoyed this event overall. Um, the only thing, and this kind of goes back to conversation with Georgie and Dan from the Excalibros when we covered Inferno, is while I can bridge the gap in my mind a little bit easier and connect some of the Moira dots, she definitely feels at this point like a plot device yo-yo. Um, this kind of, we need her to do this. We want, instead of being kind of subtle or the architect, she's going to be just be a pure, just straight-up villain now, which is fine, but it just kind of feels like they just kind of move her where they want her to be for new stories. Not really, it doesn't really feel like it's completely connected to what Hickman was doing but it is in a way. And White Percy did a fine job with running with what was Inferno. So, and that was Hickman. So, I, I don't know. It's just kind of, it just feels like a little bit like Moira just kind of all over the place. Her motivations don't always feel super clear or defined. Um, obviously, you know, at the end, it was just revenge. And that's a strong enough motivation for any number of stories. And that's fine. Um, but like going from using Krakoa as a means to an end to defeat technology, but then still hating mutants and kind of just her 
subversive like manipulation of of Xavier and Magneto if that's what she was truly doing. Um, I don't know. That that part's still a little fuzzy to me. And I can see where some people have used that to kind of pull them out of the story. And I, I think that's a valid concern, a valid issue, a valid complaint. And, you know, it's a valid hang-up, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's not entirely clear Moira's journey or character arc. And so being such a central part of this story, if you don't like that or don't understand that, I can see where you can say this is not that enjoyable. To me, I still really enjoyed it. Um, again, you know, 10 lives, just kind of like uh, 100% a lot of Wolverine fan service, right? Getting to see him in different eras, getting to see Kassara draw the shit out of everything that Wolverine was doing. Um, I mean, it was awesome. And 10 deaths is more of like, you know, Pat... Again, compared it to, and he wasn't the only one, but he compared it to, to, kind of to Terminator and just a big, fast-paced action movie. Um, and it was, and the art reflected that, and the story pacing reflected that, and I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I agree, like I said, the Moira stuff is a, a little difficult to traverse, but I just still really, really enjoyed it. And I would give 10 deaths in Wolverine number 5, 6 out of 6 claws. And I'm going to give this event overall 6 out of 6 claws. I know, you know, it doesn't completely change. It's not like earth-shattering on the status quo. It does kind of... I wonder how much... So, Orcus obviously is still in play in the the main X-Men book. And... Dugan is definitely doing something with that. And so I think and there's still, obviously there's still Nimrod, and I think there's still the threat of future Phalanx stuff, but this kind of seems to have some aversion to preventing at least part of that future um, by defeating Omega Wolverine that came back from that future. If that makes sense. And so, if nothing else, like Gene said, the present is saved. Krakoa is saved for now. Wolverine, of course, is a little more hesitant to celebrate the victory because he knows that there's still going to be challenges and stuff coming down the line. And, you know, he's got to be vigilant. And that is so Wolverine. (laughs) Uh, Or so Logan. Um, But yeah, I I think overall, I really enjoyed it. I understand some of the detractions. I just didn't get as enveloped in them as some readers did. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Uh... You know, everyone obviously has to read the comics the way that they read them. Uh, for me, I was able to kind of say, huh, I don't know about that, and then kind of push it aside because I enjoyed the rest of it a lot. You know, I do look forward to seeing, you know, how this plays out in X-Force and Wolverine moving forward. You know, and it does, it, it does feel like it kind of pivoted out of Inferno into a Wolverine story, and I will be interested to see how much of that. So I guess... I guess the question is, where will Moira.exe show up next? <laughs> um, you know, will it be a Wolverine story again? With her hatred for Wolverine as kind of being the instrument of her destruction? Um, will it be in a larger X-Men story as she continues to get revenge on Xavier and Magneto and Mystique and Destiny? You know, I don't know. Will it be a future event? Uh, kind of would rather not me, but you never know. You never know. So, anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, if it was a really, really good Wolverine story, 
and I really, really enjoyed it, and would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I will say, you know, Dan did not has not finished reading the event yet, but he did, I guess, get the end spoiled for him, and he had sent me a note about, you know, he doesn't really understand what's happened to Moyer or why we decided to do this. <laughs> I don't think he's real happy about her just being a straight-up villain or having a current, like, um, cyborg villain persona going forward. Uh, he, he was not very excited about that. And totally valid point, totally fair point. Like I said, she was definitely a plot device yo-yo, but the Wolverine part of the story and, and Dawkin and Gabby and Laura all being so fun in the story, just, I don't know, to me, and that outweighs the negative, and I just really, really enjoyed it. So maybe more realistically, probably five out of six claws, right? I had so much fun with it. So, yeah, let me know what you guys thought. I'd really love to hear it. Okay, we're back. So I need to play some catch-up on the Marvel Unlimited, X-Men Unlimited story. So, you know, a couple episodes ago on episode 484, Clint Buckler reminded me that I was missing the new Marvel Unlimited story, X-Men Unlimited, uh, that was continuing the Hickman, Declan, Shelby Wolverine story about, you know, tracking down the, the mutants that AIM tried to steal. And so I jumped right in, and, he, and Clint was so gracious as to send some thoughts, and again, you can hear all that on episode 484. I subsequently forgot that that is a weekly thing, and so I forgot to finish the coverage. <laughs> and then I also didn't realize that when we talked about that, that I was starting on the second issue. So we're going to jump into, I think last time we did 23, but I need to backtrack to issue 22. All right, so remember this is all by Declan Shelby. Written, drawn, every, colored everything. Uh, letters, of course, by V.C.'s Josephino, and the production, of course, by Annie Chang and Tim Smith III. So, I'm going to run through this kind of quick, not because I don't like it, because I actually like it quite a bit. But, you know, it moves pretty fast. So, we start off with Wolverine in the Blackbird, trying to hunt down AIM with Warlock, trying to find the missing mutants, and they have a plan, he's got Strong Guy, and he drops Strong Guy out of the plane, and he lands on an island, and is surrounded by AIM soldiers, and just has fun. It's kind of beating the crap out of him. And then Wolverine gets down, and, you know, he continues to fight some AIM soldiers as well. They go on a base. There's AIM with a bunch of tombs. Uh, we do a fastball special. Wolverine crashes through a tomb, and they continue to f just fight AIM stuff. And then, you know, does unlock him, but then one of the AIM ships gets away with one of the pods, and Warlock helps track it, and so then they find one stasis tube that has the Maddie character that we met last time. And that's to be continued. So that's where we picked up on issue 23, where um, I was kind of like, how did they get to this island? Well, that, that was how. <laughs> so... So we see the Blackburn continue to fly, um, and now they have Maddie on the plane. They don't recognize her, but, you know, we see her, and she says her parents are dead, and, you know, we talked about this one with Clint. There's a really cool scene of Warlock's head as you scroll down, and Wolverine finds the island base. He realizes it's a trap, 
you know, and I won't completely rehash that, but we really enjoyed it, both of us, both Clint and I really enjoyed that one. So it's going to take us to 24. Um, 24 is a really fun one, guys. Um, so we again start off with the Blackbird falling from the sky. Remember, Maddie's disappeared. Warlock and Strong Guy are in the plane. Warlock is able to use techno-organics to fix the breach in the hole and fly the Blackbird back. Wolverine realizes the trap, of course, and he's, you know, cutting through bad guys, and he says, deploy the hayseed, and we see Cannonball out of the plane, and get a really awesome long scroll of him flying through the air, including a last one that has him going through the ground, underground, and he continues to scroll as he goes through rocks, and part of the aim base, and the cavern, and you finally see his body at the end of the trail. It's an awesome sequence. So Cannonball continues to crash through the base. We see broken pods. There's no more aim there. Um, Wolverine jumps down. Sam Cannonball catches him. They go to the top of the base where Maddie appears to see herself inside of a stasis tube. We'll find out who that is in a minute. But I think it's meant to look similar. And then Sam drops Wolverine, cuts his way through the roof, and we see Maddie with the last tube. They keep saying this is the most important one. And um, then Maddie reveals that she knows Wolverine. And her power is teleporting. And then you should remember that. He's like, remember, I just met you. Um, and she says, well, that may be true, but we will meet. Does that make sense? I'll put it like this. I've met you before, an older version of you. Let's just say it did not go well. And Warlock is trying to say, you know, that there's, you know, a significant event going on about to happen, that the base is collapsing because there's been kind of a self-control. Um, oh, shoot. I just got off somehow. So that is, that was 24. So we're going to go to 25, which is a conclusion. And it's a pretty fun conclusion. So again, we see that uh, Maddie has teleported a huge pile of rock into the sky and it's going to fall on the base and help destroy the base. And um, Wolverine's like, well, I don't know what to do with all this. Then continuing to fight and kind of face off. Wolverine's like, I don't know who you are, why you hate me, make your move. And she throws a spear. And Wolverine, an awesome fan of Wolverine, kind of from the ground looking up at him with his claws in front of him. It looks really, really great. But then the spear teleports behind him and goes through his back. And... She said, this should be all I need. Aim is paying me pretty well for this. And she takes the blood off the spear. And that's what, who, what she's going to sell to Aim. And you were just bait. I see genetic material. Damn, girl, who are you? How did I hurt you so bad? My name's Maddie. You and your friend Wade ruined my life. You had this coming. Now that immediately, because Declan Shelby is drawing this, made me think of the awesome Deadpool story with Wolverine and Captain America. But... While there was a daughter of a family like in there, I don't think this is who the character is. First of all, I don't remember her name being Maddie. But second of all, she talks about meeting an older Wolverine. So their meeting is in the future, but it's going to involve Deadpool, which obviously makes me think of the upcoming Wolverine arc uh, that has Deadpool in it. So we'll see how that all plays out. Or whether it plays out in another chapter of Infinity Unlimited. But um, anyway... Uh, we see a rock crack the glass of the tube that they've been trying to get to, and it is Paige Guthrie Husk. She pulls out, 
And now they're just trying to get out before the base explodes. And um, Wolverine's glad to see her. Of course, Cannonball is super excited that she's safe. Uh, Paige throws Wolverine out the window. He says, starting to take this personal. We see Sam blast through the wall, grab Paige, blast out. And as the base collapses, continues to collapse. Um, and yeah, then we see um, Skin reaches out of the blackbird, stretches his arm, grabs Wolverine out of the sky, says, watch the claws, bro, and then pulls Wolverine in, and that's the end. So we've seen lots of Gen X characters and lots of fun characters. Um, overall, a very fun story. The art is fantastic. It looks fantastic. It's fun, and it builds on the whatever AIM is doing. Um, I know I went through it pretty fast. It's kind of light. But not bad, not in a bad way. Like, in just a fun, action-packed way. Now, I would give this whole thing, like, from 22 to 25, uh, 5 out of 6 claws. Hey, Clint, let me know what, if you ended up reading the rest of it and what you thought. Uh, definitely love to hear your thoughts, and we can talk about it next time I record. I'll, I'll bring them up. But, yeah, so X-Men Unlimited on Marvel Unlimited, the Infinity Comic. I think the highlight as far as using the format, for me, was the cannonball scene. Like, just seeing his blast trail, just continuing to scroll down and through different things without ever seeing him until the very end, like seeing Sam himself, was a really, really cool effect. So, that was really nice. So, last but not least, I'm going to cover X-Men number 9. I'm going to give the Excalibros a break, but also very Gambit-centric. And so, I want to give Grant some Gambit's gumbo to round out the episode. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about X-Men number 9. Laura's actually not in this one at all. So, this is Throw Your Hands in the Air, if you're a true player, or The Rule of Three, written by Jerry Dugan, art by C.F. Mia, colors by Martin Garcia, letters by V.C.'s Clayton Cowles, designed the... The X-Men bad guys sitting at the table and standing behind the table, including, you know, Nimrod, Omega Sentinel, Dr. Stasis, with his question mark cloak, or reverse question mark cloak, and some of the other bad guys that we've seen doing stuff here. So X-Men number nine um, starts off on Krakoa, Phobos, and Rocco kind of simultaneously. And we're trying to avoid a war. So Xavier on with the Quiet Council on Krakoa talks about how we have to protect Krakoa. Phobos is like, you know, we have um, that guy. What's his name? We have the Matt and the billionaire guy. Um, he's not Dr. Stasis. He's not Monot. What? He's not listed on the little faces page. I don't remember his name. Um, but anyway, uh, he's there. And then uh, we have Iska, the unbeatable on Ariko talking with Storm in the Inner Circle. So Xavier talks about how Orcus has dedicated their destruction. Uh, they know about resurrection, um, and they're trying to use that to put a wedge between us and humanity. And, you know, basically pleading with the Council that we have to do something or enact, like doing nothing is as bad as bad as what they're doing. Um, can you, Kate Pride is like, no, we can't declare war on a human organization. And they kind of argue back and forth. And the Magneto out of nowhere says, I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival. Which <laughs> they don't show it, but you kind of, and they switch scenes, but you kind of feel like that scene ended with, okay, Magneto. <laughs> it's a really funny moment. 
So on Phobos, we have uh, Dr. Stasis and Nimrod and the other bad guys uh, talking with Agent Brand. And they decide that they're going to use what Modoc was doing and try to recruit him. And Nimrod says, I would like to meet this killing machine. And say, all right, we'll go do it. So Nimrod goes to break Modoc out of jail. He fights some War Machine armor guys. Pretty fun. Says, says Modoc, you know, he gets him out. And then Dr. Stasis says, hey, we got something you can do. It's kind of like a contract job. You're not dedicated to our cause. We just need your help. And we'll give you some help and let you just torture people, you know, as a side bonus. He's like, all right, sign me up. Then we see, like, a kind of org chart for Orcus, and then we go to the Great Ring on Ariko, where Storm is arguing about whether they're, you know, whether they will engage in war or not. Um, of course, the Ariko, Arikoans, Arakans, I don't know. They're like, well, war is just part of it. It's what we do. Um, but Storm votes no, and then she gets... Surrounded by this red vine and picks a flower, puts it in her hair. So she sides with peace. Tarn, the uncaring, kind of challenges her. Talks about red roots. They decide they need to go rescue red root from other world. And Tarn kind of says, basically says if she can't free herself, she doesn't deserve to be free. And Ariko uses, slaps him with a big branch into the table, bloodies his nose a little bit. <laughs> And Storm says, all right, well, I guess that's decided. So then we see um, Rogue and Gambit go to nowhere and bring some donuts to Cosmo and his new buddy, Albert, the uh, space chimpanzee. And they talk about the other mutant who's already there. And so Rogue and Gambit are there to ask Cosmo about Game World. They're trying to figure out you know, these new X-Men enemies and how they might be able to get to them. And their plan was to go to this kind of place and just drink and laugh it up and become friends and try to get some information. And, and Destiny's already there. A little more direct approach. And she talks about how Gambit's not good for Rogue. Um, there's some fun kind of scenes. You know, Gambit kind of comes off a little bit like Han Solo in this issue, which is fine. Um, you know, he calls the guy a scandal. They start a fight. There's some really cool scenes of them kind of fighting through the bar. Rogue's like, okay, we're doing it the hard way. And Destiny's like, you always do it the hard way. And she leaves. Um, she goes to drink at the bar. Rogue and Gambit continue to fight. They talk about how this is good quality time for them. Gambit saves Mystique from a monster, or sorry, Destiny from a monster at the bar. And, um... Destiny continues to talk about she doesn't like Gambit. Now, she's he's not good for Rogue. Um, Gambit's like, why? What do you got against me? And Destiny's like, there's not enough time in the world or alcohol in this bar. You're a disappointment made flesh. And says, to your right. And then gets attacked from his left. <laughs> so Destiny intentionally misdirects him. He lights up a martini glass and throws it. I would say the highlight of this issue is just the visual art of Rogue and Gambit fighting aliens in a bar. Alien bar fight with Rogue and Gambit is a definite highlight. And they determine that no one really knows anything. Um, Gambit says, you know what? You know, Maybe I'm not the best guy. Maybe I'm a little bit of a scoundrel. But at least my love for Rogue is unconditional with no strings attached. And kind of gets that barb into Destiny. And as he leaves, Destiny turns around after he's gone. She's like, hey, it's you, and like fake chokes him. Um, so the Quiet Council 
decides not to take any, not to have all-out war with Orcus. Of course, they've already done missions, and kind of, I guess, the, the idea is we'll still, we can still use X-Force or whatever, but we cannot, Krakoa cannot fight Orcus. It's a decision that is made, and the Storm recruits Sunfire to go to Otherworld and save Red Root. And, yeah. So the art on this is really, really good. Uh, you know, you have the political side of the story that kind of just kind of keeps that in the background so we don't forget about it. Really, the main issue of this is the alien bar fight, and it's wonderful. Um, I really enjoyed the issue. I'm going to give X-Men number 9. We won't do claws. It is Gambus Gumbo. We'll do four out of four spades. Or aces, sorry. Four out of four aces. So, uh, another great issue. So that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I, like I said, I'm trying to get back on regular schedule. I know every every so often I get off and I talk about how I'm going to get back on. And I do for a while. And then stuff comes up. <laughs> kind of in a vicious cycle of, of punctuality or not. But um, you know, I'm doing my best here. And I just hope you guys are enjoying the show, enjoying the content. I hope you're enjoying the comics. Obviously, you don't love everything, and I talk about what I do and don't love. But for the most part, still a really pretty big high point with the X books and the Wolverine books, and a very enjoyable experience to read through them. And I hope you're able to geek out with me a little bit. Um, you know, there's things you'd rather be focused on, or like, hey, like you just breeze through X-Men number nine, didn't really talk about dot, dot, dot. Well, write in and let me know, and I can review it and give you my opinion, whatever. So, yeah. So, um, as far as what's next, I don't know. Uh, I know I will cover, like I said, I'm going to do Patch, the new Larry Hammer story, and then I'll conclude Dark Ages by Tom Taylor. And then I have, you know, I've talked to John Wilson about doing a new flashback episode. So we'll get that on the books once I'm back in the house. Um, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Obviously, we'll get the Excalibros back on soon to talk about new X-Books. Immortal X-Men is about to launch, so we'll definitely focus on that uh, once we get a couple other weeks or books out and have, you know, a couple other things to talk about. Not just that. Hopefully, you know, we'll be able to join us as well. Um, so yeah, go listen to Excalibros if you're not already. And yeah, for the podcast, it goes snicked. You can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff for SnickCast.podbean.com. So until next time, stay well, stay safe. Hugs and snicks, everyone. Bye-bye. And snacked.